Well, good evening. We doing okay tonight? Very good. I want you to grab your Bibles, and uh, I want you to open up to the table of contents in your Bible. That's right. I want us to review some things that every one of us as a student of God's Word should be very familiar with, but let's remind ourselves as you open up to the table of contents, I want you to look at a few things with me. You'll notice that as you see there, uh, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old and the New Testament. You know, as you have recited many times, the Bible has 66 books. We have 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Old Testament, as you remember, was comprised of writings of over 1,500 years. The New Testament, Testament was covered over a span of approximately 50 years. The longest book in that table of contents listed there is the book of Psalms. And the longest chapter in all the Bible is in that same book, Psalm 119. And the shortest books in all the Bible are just the one-chapter books in the Bible. Uh, four of them, Obadiah, Second John, Third John, Jude, and Philemon. And we're going to cover a few of those. And I want you to turn with me to the last one I mentioned, the book of Philemon. It's two-thirds of the way through your New Testament, and it's just before the book of Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. But we're going to look at Philemon together. In this series that I've called Postcards. Now, some of the guys who've been in rush hour, we've done a study off of this same uh, topic uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, I feel like we need to walk through this together as a Sunday night crowd over the next couple of weeks. And as you're turning there, let me uh, bring you up to speed on what we're going to be looking at together. These one-chapter books... Uh, they're like postcards. They're just short letters. They're short phrases. And just like when you go on vacation, you may write a postcard to friends. Uh, it's not long, but it can be meaningful to those who receive it. I want us to see these packed, full, crammed little letters, postcards that God has put in his word for us intentionally. They have meaning for us, truth for us. And let's turn our biblical microscope this evening to the letter of Philemon. We look at this letter, we see this postcard, if I can set the scene for us. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was late in his life that he wrote this letter. He was imprisoned in Rome. Paul completed three great missionary journeys throughout Western Asia, which is now Turkey, and, and through parts of Europe, establishing the Church of Jesus Christ. And one of Paul's lifetime goals was to share the gospel in Rome with Caesar. And now he's there, and he had gotten his wish, but it's a little bit different than what he thought. He thought he'd be a free man, but he's there in Rome, a man who's in prison under house arrest. You see, it's just one more testimony in the life of Paul where you cannot keep someone who's radically obedient to God down. And, and God is using him even though he is in house arrest. Even though Paul's in chains in his home, he's confined to his home, he's giving the freedom of Jesus to everybody who would listen. That's the author of this book, Philemon. It's Paul. Now let's take a moment to consider who's, who he's writing to and why he's writing this short letter. To us, we've got to look 1,200 miles to the east where we meet another bond slave named Onesimus. Slaves in those days, they had no rights of their own. They were subject to the complete control of the master, the one who owned them. 
Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And Philemon had come to know Christ through the church Paul established. So we see this person who it's addressed to is Philemon, and this is one that Paul had won to the Lord and the church that Paul had started. And it's about this slave of Philemon's, Onesimus, and Paul has some words to share with him. Onesimus lived under the rule of this good, godly master, which there were very few in that day. And evidently at some point, Onesimus robbed his master and fled for his life. And Onesimus possibly, maybe through a premeditated plan, ran 1,200 miles away and ended up in the capital city of Rome. And it's there that his path crossed with Paul's path. And we begin to see that through that process of time and God's divine providence, Paul had the joy of leading Onesimus to Christ. And leading him to the one who unconditionally loved him. The one who would forgive him. The one who would give him a new lease on life. The one in Jesus Christ. And Onesimus placed his trust in Jesus. And Christ forgave him of his sins. And this amazing grace that you just heard a snippet of in this song. That was just played a minute ago. This began to change his heart. By the way, this message tonight from the book of Philemon is for every rebel within the sound of my voice. We had rock music tonight, so I guess it's rebel night. When Jim said, hey, we're going to have rock music, I thought, this is going to be interesting. I didn't know that Jim could play rock music, especially with the trombone, but I found out we can. But this is written to rebels of all kinds, and it's a reminder to those who who feel like they can run as far away from God as they can. It's a reminder that you can run from God, but you'll never get away from His love. He will chase you down. There will always be somebody that God places in your life waiting for you, just like Paul, finding you at the end of your reckless journey to be the voice of, of God's love, to be the hands of compassion, to lead you back home to Jesus. And this is a word for every Christian, to remind us that we can be a hope beacon for somebody. There's an Onesimus around you, and there is somebody who needs to hear the reason for the hope that you have. And God may be waiting for that divine opportunity to tap you on the shoulder and to say, it is your time to share. I want to work through you. I hope you're sensing what's going on in this book. Here is this fugitive, this slave, deserving the death penalty for what he had done. Now he's a born-again believer. And the Holy Spirit begins to impress upon him that he needs to go back and make restitution with his master. Yet in doing so, he risks his very life. The best case scenario would be that he would just have an F branded on him somewhere as, as it being a fugitive or maybe his foot cut off to remind him that he could never run away again and yet... He desired to make it right at all costs. His love for Christ now compelled him to reconcile with his master. It's interesting to see the fruit, the true fruit of repentance. I'm always skeptical of of someone who says that they are Christian, yet they make very little, if, if any, attempt towards reconciliation or restitution with the one who they have hurt and wronged. Onesimus is bearing the fruit of repentance. He wants to make things right with Philemon, but he needs help. And the only way he can do this is through Paul. So Paul is writing this postcard, this short letter to get to Philemon, to give him some instruction that may give some hope for Onesimus. 
Let's look back to this little postcard. Let's look at some greater detail. Take your Bible and look there as, as you will follow along with me. I don't want you just to hear me talk about it. I want you to, to read and listen at the same time. And so look here at verse 1. As, as you look at verse 1, look down in your Bible, you see that Paul is affirming Philemon's shared faith in Jesus Christ. Referring to him as a fellow worker. He's saying, you are, are a fellow worker. You are, you are with me in this journey with Christ. And then verse 2. This is a reference probably to Philemon's family and the church that meets in his home. House churches were very common then. And Philemon apparently hosted a weekly gathering in his home. And then in verse 3, Paul continues, and he uses a phrase that's very typical for him, grace and peace. Among Paul's letters, he uses this phrase over and over. Remember, Philemon doesn't know the full nature of what Paul is going to be writing to him about. I can just see Philemon sitting back as he's hearing the words grace and peace from Paul. He had no doubt been taught about God's grace, and he could think, I, I'm a recipient of God's grace. That's, that's what's been granted to me. Thanks, Paul, for the reminder of how much God loves me. Paul is simply preparing Philemon for this request and the news of Onesimus. He doesn't come right out and say, Dear Philemon, your fugitive Onesimus has found God. He's accepted Christ, so now as a good Christian brother, you need to forgive him, signed Paul. No, he doesn't do that. Neither does he attempt to manipulate or coerce him into something that he doesn't want to do. True Christian counsel doesn't do either one of those. Paul gives us a good example here. God wants us to use tact and sensitivity in dealing with our brothers and sisters in conflict. He wants to use genuine words of encouragement with clear outlines of his love for him. Notice how he honestly affirms Philemon. Look there in your Bible at verse 4 of, of Philemon. It's phrases like this, I thank God for you, I am praying for you. And then on verse 5, your faith in the Lord, your love for all the saints. Verse 6, you are active in sharing your faith. As it goes on, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now this isn't a setup. He's not just blowing smoke at him. No, he is affirming what he sees in him and he's expecting the best in Philemon. Maybe this is a part we could get some thought for us tonight. I probably should have shared at the beginning. We're going to have five key takeaways, but it's going to be towards the end. So if you're sitting there waiting to get those five things that are there in your outline, it's going to be a little bit. But here's a nugget of truth before we get back to that outline. Do you do that? Do you affirm the things of Jesus that you see in other people around you? Do you expect the best of your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Or do you expect the worst? Do you bring out the best in other people? Do you encourage people? Encouragement is always in season. It's desperately needed. I've known some people who profess to be Christians, thank God there's not many in this church, that they feel they have the gift of criticism. They exercise that gift frequently and as often as they possibly can. The last time I checked Paul's listings of spiritual gifts, I didn't see criticism listed among them. Criticism is not a spiritual gift. It's a bad habit. But encouragement, 
refreshing others, lifting them up, is always needed in the church. And that's what Paul does for Philemon here. Paul hasn't even mentioned Onesimus yet. But do you know that most likely the one who delivered this postcard, this letter, was Onesimus himself. And, and Paul is reading these words from the one who has caused the offense. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 and see what Paul is saying to Philemon. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. I like that. Paul, in his later years, has got some wisdom. He says, I could just tell you, I could order you out of the things of God, this is what you ought to do. But, read on, verse 9, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Let's just begin to look at what God can maybe teach us through this postcard right here. Paul earned the right to tell Philemon what to do. It's not an appeal out of fear or guilt or a power play, but it's an appeal out of love. Friends, it is always love that is the best motivator when confronting a brother or sister. You and I were not compelled to give our lives to Christ because of fear of punishment. Maybe that fear of hell brought you to the cross, but it never keeps you at the cross. It's the great love that Jesus has for us, the love he showed on the cross, that compels us to continue to live for him. And Paul begins to get to the heart of his message. Let's look at verse 9 and 10 again. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now try to put yourself in Philemon's shoes for a moment. Have you ever had somebody who, who did you wrong and they never made it right? Someone who may have said to you, you can count on me. I will follow through for you. And so based on their commitment to follow through, you did your part. And your part wasn't easy. It was hard. And then they were nowhere to be found. And they left you holding the bag. It's not easy to overlook that when someone has blatantly wronged you. That's exactly what Philemon is facing. As Paul's note is being read, it's bringing back the pain and the hurt of the rebellion that Onesimus had in his most likely theft and, and running away. He appeals to him as one who has received the grace of God himself and now is calling him to extend that grace to the fugitive slave who is returning home to make things right. Let me ask you this evening, are you willing to trust God to help you to forgive those who have wronged you? You may identify with Onesimus. You're the one who has wronged others. You may identify with Philemon tonight. God is calling you to forgive the one who has wronged you. But it's hard to forgive. But it's hard to live with unforgiveness. Make no mistake, as hard as it is to forgive, it's much harder to live with the consequences of unforgiveness. Nobody suffers more in life than the one who does not forgive. The, the, the turmoil in their heart, the, the bitterness they hold, eats away at them. God knows this and calls us to give the forgiveness that was given to us. 
Now notice how God uses Paul to teach Philemon how to forgive. Let's look at verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. And that, that's not real nice. He's just saying it how it is. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful to both you and to me. Notice, Paul doesn't sugarcoat this. He doesn't say what Onesimus did was okay or it was right. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He calls it out like it was. He said what he did was wrong. He was useless to you the way he acted and the way he was. But hey, Philemon, that was then. He's a changed man. He's a new creation in Christ. Now, how is Philemon supposed to believe that? Paul is lending his credibility, the trust that Philemon has in Paul, saying, you need to take a look at the life of Onesimus. Paul had learned this lesson in his own life and could recognize it when it needed to be taught in someone else's life. Paul knew firsthand what it was like to deserve justice and yet desperately need mercy. Remember, Paul murdered Christians before his conversion. And even years after his conversion, when he showed up at the church in Jerusalem, people were skeptical of him. They didn't really trust him. And it took Barnabas, who had credibility back then, to pave the way for Paul to have credibility and acceptance into the church. He was Paul's agent of reconciliation. And now Paul is Onesimus' agent of reconciliation back to Philemon. Look at verse 12. I am sending him who is... My very heart back to you. 13 and 14. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am here in chains for the gospel. Verse 14. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. You see, Paul is wanting Philemon to come to his his own conclusion that this is the best thing to do, not only for Onesimus, but for himself, to offer forgiveness. Paul helps his friend see that God was at work even in the disobedience of Onesimus and even through the pain that Philemon faced. I found that even in life when things aren't fair, when it's not right, when there's hurt and pain, when you can get the big picture and see how God can work even through the tragic things in life, it helps to get through. This rock that God is for us, that we sing about tonight, part of that firm foundation is seeing the big picture that God has when we understand that He can work all things together for the good of those who love Him. Romans teaches us that it's, it's not for every person, and it's not saying that God calls everything good, but He's saying in all circumstances, in all things, good, bad, horrific, great, He can work them for the good of those who are trusting Him with His life. Paul's reminding Philemon of this principle. And then Paul does something that that surprises me. Look at verse 18. See if you would do this. Uh, You probably would tell your brother or sister, hey, you need to forgive the one who's who's made restitution, is trying to make restitution, has come back to Christ. But look at verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul is the agent of reconciliation here. He's the one coaching these guys, but yet he is personally making an investment in this reconciliation. When is the last time that as you were helping be a peacemaker with people around you, that you wanted to invest yourself, your resources, into bringing about peace and reconciliation for a brother and sister? 
Paul is so committed to the process, this process of reconciliation, that he makes the investment himself. Paul doesn't ignore the debt that's incurred by Philemon. He doesn't say, Philemon, if you're a good Christian brother, then you wouldn't even worry about this. No, he doesn't say that. He says, hey, if, if there's any outstanding debt that you need paid, I want to cover that. In essence, he says, when this slave returns with this postcard that I'm giving to you, there's a bag of money he's going to have. You take out of it whatever you need because I want to cover the debt that Onesimus has racked up. Before I tell you about this end of this story, now we can turn to the outline and see five key principles that we can take for ourselves that we see in this postcard. There's, there's way more than five, but there's five that are so fundamental, so basic, probably not new to anybody in this room, but we desperately need to be reminded of the principles that are at work here for us. Principles that we can apply our life to, first, is every person is born a fugitive. Every one of us is enslaved to sin when we are born. And like Onesimus, we're running from our master. You and I, man, woman, we're basically not good, we're basically bad. We are sinful at our heart. We are rebels wanting to get our own way. The only difference between a true Christian And a non-Christian is that a Christian has stopped running from God and started running towards God. But we all are sinners. Christians are sinners saved by the grace of God. A second key principle to be reminded of from this postcard is that our guilt is great and our penalty is severe. The Bible tells us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. We all deserve eternal separation from God. You can try everything under the sun, but to no avail, you won't get around it. You can't pay your way out of it. You can't play your way around it. You can't get enough good counsel or rationalize it away. The wages of your sin, the wages of my sin, we deserve death. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for a while and you've gotten forgetful of what you've been forgiven of. Maybe it's been... A while since you have lived in open rebellion against God, but may God never let us forget what He has saved us from, what was running rampant in our own hearts. Look at the third principle we can see here. But God's grace allows us the opportunity to appeal. The Bible also says that while lost in this sinful condition, God loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for your sin. It's His grace, that amazing grace, that He gives us not what we deserve, but He offers us what we desperately need. Jesus paid the debt for us. And fourth, by faith, Christ placed, and excuse me, by faith, Christ placed our penalty on His account. Paul is beginning to live out the same thing that Jesus did for him. And he's saying, on behalf of my brother Onesimus, who, who he deserves to pay the price for this, I want to step in. I want to invest of myself, of my resources, to pay the price for him. Jesus has done that for not only Paul and for Onesimus and for Philemon, but he's done it for you and he's done it for me. He brings this precious atoning blood of his to the father and says brady wiseheart is useless he is a rebel 
worthless to you. But I have paid the penalty of his rebellion in full and have covered him with my atoning blood. And because of my blood, Jesus says, and his faith in me, the Father accepts me back and I become a part of him. It's the same for you. It's the same for Onesimus. It was the same for Philemon. It was the same for Paul. And fifth, leads us to see that as a result, our rightful owner accepts us and adopts us. This is the good news today. That there is a way back to our master. Now, the question here is, did Philemon accept Onesimus back? There is nothing in the New Testament that tells us of Philemon's response. But I've discovered in some other historical records given to us that gives us a little bit of a clue of what possibly could have happened. Fifty years after Paul wrote this letter, Ignatius, an early Christian who was martyred for his faith, wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, which just was a few miles away from this town where all this was taking place. And the letter was addressed to your wonderful minister and bishop Onesimus. Could it be that this was the same Onesimus? Well, in his letter, Ignatius writes to the bishop, the one who formerly was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and me. The exact same words that Paul uses in his letter to Philemon. I believe, based off of evidence like this, that we have good reason to believe that Philemon took Paul's advice and forgave him and brought him in and and trained him to be a leader in that house church and later a leader to those around. And God used Philemon and Paul's nudging to bring reconciliation back to this brother who wanted to make restitution. Are you beginning to understand why this little postcard, this little one-chapter letter, has great significance and application for us today? If you chew on this and, and you read this and think about it, it can have great impact in your life all throughout this week. As I shared this Sunday night series we're going to be walking through over the next three or four weeks. We did a parallel a series with our men's gathering and rush hour earlier on this year. And, and one of the guys in small group, after hearing a little bit about this and studying Philemon himself, he said, Brady, this is good stuff. He was a little bit surprised. I said, yeah, it's good. He said, I, I don't know that I've ever dug into this and, and saw what it's calling me to do. I hope you're catching what God may be prompting your heart to do. I don't know who you identify with in this narrative tonight, this real-life story. Maybe it's Onesimus. Maybe you can identify as one who has gone your own rebellious way. You've planned your run away. And you have come back to God and you have made restitution with the Lord, but He's calling you to go back to The places where you have hurt others and He's calling you to do the tough thing. God wants to give you forgiveness, but He's calling you to do your part in obedience. Maybe you identify with Philemon. Of one who's been hurt, someone who's done wrong against you. They've cheated you, they have wounded you, and it's not easy to let that go. 
But God is calling you to forgive. And, and the first step in forgiveness is not you doing it in yourself, but it's asking God, God, would you teach me, would you help me to forgive? And he always takes us back to what we have been forgiven of ourselves. God wants to show you, just like Paul showed Philemon how to forgive, may I remind you, God wants to show you that he's forgiven you much, and to whom much is forgiven, much is required. Maybe you identify with Paul tonight. Maybe God is speaking to you about being a, a peacemaker, a person of reconciliation, that, that you are going to help bridge the gap between a brother and another brother, or a sister and another sister, or a brother and a sister, and you're going to help bring reconciliation between the two of them. And, and you could lord over them and say, hey, just do the Christian thing, but you're going to take the advice of Paul's life that he lives out on these pages and, and go in love. And, and encourage them for the Jesus you see in them and to affirm that, that they love the Lord like Philemon loved the Lord. But, but remember, we need to be people who forgive the way Jesus has forgiven us. And not just a person of reconciliation who likes to just get everybody to hug and hold hands, but one who would invest their own resources in reconciliation. They would invest their own reputation, lend credibility to help someone be reconciled. This was risky for Paul. Why would he put his neck on the line for Onesimus? His track record was horrible. But Paul, living his life, pattern after Christ, says, everything that's been given to me, I don't deserve. I'm going to give things to others that they don't deserve. Because that's who Christ is calling me to be. So, so what do we do with this little postcard that's not so little anymore? Ask yourself, is there any confrontations that need to be resolved in your life? Could you take some cues from Paul and Philemon and Onesimus on, on how godly reconciliation should take place? How could you prepare to be a mediator for people who need the peace of God in their life? Paul didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say things that weren't true. He didn't leave out the truth. He spoke the truth in love. It was wrapped in love. Examine your heart tonight. Are there people that you need to forgive? Even talking about this may bring up the pain of what was done against you. It's like peeling back a scab and it's not one that you want to look at too much. But God wants you to know that as hard as forgiving is, unforgiveness is much more costly. There's a prayer I came across a couple months ago that spoke to me as I shared some of this with our men on Thursday mornings. Let me read to you this prayer. I don't have a lot of written prayers myself, but sometimes it's good to, to write out our prayers. Sometimes it's good to read a prayer of another believer who is pouring their heart out before God and it can allow us to see maybe a pattern of what God is calling us to, a position to take to humble ourselves before the Lord. This man's prayer goes like this, Lord, help me to release all personal hurts and grievances to your care. May I nail the offenses of others to your cross, just as I have nailed mine there. Guide me along the path of forgiveness, transforming and blessing all my relationships so that I may be useful in your kingdom. And that sign-off word, you know what it means. 
Let it be so. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the reminder that you have big truth in these little one-chapter books for us. And Lord, not only tonight, but over the next number of Sunday evenings, over the next month or so, I pray that you would allow us not just to get some new trivia about these short little books that we don't read often enough, but Lord, I pray that we will see that they are included in your word for a very intentional purpose. God, may we see how you are calling us to live according to what you have given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the example of Paul. Thank you for the transparency we see in this letter of the pain that Philemon had to have walked through. Thank you, God, for the picture of humility and true godly sorrow and repentance that Onesimus shared. Lord, I pray that it won't just be things that go in our ears and out. But God, I pray that you'll begin to plant seeds in our heart, that it will grow later on tonight, later on this week, that you will call us back to your word. Not my words, but back to what you have said through your man, Paul, of how we are to live just the way Christ has called us to. Not by our strength, not by our own might, But as Philippians tells us, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, the one who is our rock, our foundation, the reason for the hope that we cling to. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. May God bless you this evening. You can read over Philemon if you haven't read it yet. Ten times before you get home. Well, maybe three or four times. But I challenge you, don't let this be the last time you look at the book of Philemon. Take some time this week. Read through it. Allow yourself to be strengthened by the words that God gives us in that book. God bless you. You're dismissed.